Thanks for returning to the Mystical Motherhood Podcast. I have guests on this podcast for spirituality, for motherhood, for fertility, for pregnancy, for relationships, um, varying controversial topics. But one topic I really wanted to focus on is the women that don't have children, the women that have failed IVF or don't want to use a donor egg, don't want to adopt, um, try too late, go through all the fear around conceiving with a new partner when they marry later in life. This is a big topic. And this, my guest today, Suzanne, she was one of my clients years ago. And she's come back and she's here to talk about her story of not having children and what she had to go through to get to this decision and this deep healing within her body and also within her relationship. So in this podcast, she kind of talks about how she, you know, went on the journey through IVF and then through infertility and you know, the decision to just not keep trying and not use a donor egg and, and not feel bad about it. And then to focus on her relationship. So a lot of this podcast is about what it's like to not be a mother and the acceptance around that and the identity around motherhood. And the second part of this podcast focuses on relationships and it's really, really good stuff towards the end. I actually listened to it, which I never do probably should, but the concepts around, you know, healing relationships and the pattern between the female and male is huge within everybody's marriage, relationship, life, and can, you know, really be helpful, I think, to many of you. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I really do. I'm going to have some really cool guests coming up. Um, I'm back and I'm really into it. So I have some fun guests coming up on the Mystical Motherhood podcast. If you have any questions, please reach out to me as always at mysticalmotherhood.com. You can email me anything, absolutely anything at mysticalmotherhood at gmail.com. If you're interested in purchasing any of my books, everything's available on Amazon or through my website. And I publish under the name Pritam Atma. Uh, my first book, Mystical Motherhood, Fertile Alchemy of Becoming, and my fourth book is soon to be released. If you like this podcast, please leave a review. Please leave a star review. It really helps. Please share it with your friends. Send it in a text message. Put it on social media. Some of these podcasts are really, 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 really helpful for what we're talking about, fertility, becoming pregnant, um, pregnancy, motherhood, spirituality, love, loving yourself. So I hope you guys have a beautiful day and enjoy. Welcome to the Mystical Motherhood Podcast. I have a client that I had seen years ago come back into my life. Her name is Suzanne, and she is going to talk about her journey. Um, I'm going to let her speak first to share what she's comfortable with. But we worked together, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago. And then she came back with an email and I was like, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about how everything changed, how you found me. And then, you know, what the work did for you. And so other women can help, you know, progress in their spiritual journey and their, you know, journey to self. 
So I'm going to let Suzanne introduce herself. All right. Thank you for having me, Chelsea. Yeah. Um, so my name is Suzanne and, and I have a long story in the space of fertility and mothering and healing, I would say just how all many, many roads, my life sort of converged around the same time. And the road to mothering or becoming a mother was just one of many roads for me that needed to also converge with the others. Um, and it was, it was intense. I would say it was more of a soul journey than even a physical one. Um, when we think of fertility, we think of it being the physical body and when things don't go as planned or the way that we want them to, we just automatically assume that something is broken in our bodies. And what I've learned over the course of this time of just evolution and reflection is that my soul really was leading the way more than my body was. And that, that alone has been very enlightening and healing for me. And, and yes, indeed, Chelsea, you were a huge part of my work, of my healing, really. You know, the fertility piece was sort of the catalyst, but you were one of my first healers and teachers that kind of sent me down the path of deeper reflection and wisdom and self-knowledge. So for everyone listening, I don't consider myself a healer. <laughs> I don't I don't identify as that maybe I did in the past, but I don't now. I think that like people find whoever is the cure and or the catalyst and the catalyst is the cure. And um, we look for, you know, I guess the medicine and the poison, <laughs> both for healing. And it's, you know, I, I this, this is a separate example, but it's coming up just as we're speaking is, of, of not just one girlfriend, a few girlfriends that go for like really toxic men. And I've done it. We've all done it. Right. And this is a side note, but it's, it's a kind of a part of it, but it's like, I was talking to another girlfriend and, and about this man, this one friend had chosen. And she's like, well, that's the, that's the, that's the medicine she needs right now. Now this doesn't have anything to do with you, but we go down this path to healing and we are kind of always looking so you want, I remember you wanted a child and you were having infertility issues and someone found me through a bookstore. You'll have to tell that story. And then you probably found many healers along your journey. And I'm, I don't know, I'm assuming, or you may probably found many paths. And I bring up, you know, as we're going through the journey, as we look for like the the light and the dark within ourselves. And, and I don't know why I brought up the guy thing maybe somebody listening is having some toxic relationship with some man that man whoever's listening to this um I, I need to say it. it the man is in your life he's the poison and sometimes that poison is what you need to never taste it again I don't know why that's coming out but I just had to say that but tell us like so you came to the journey and then you you don't have any children no so, so start from the beginning of like what changed in your life? How did you find people to, you know, work with? What was your journey like? Sure. I'll summarize. Um, so I'll, I'll back up the bus just a smidge. So in, I, I met my husband when I was in my early twenties 
and we were married when I was 27. Um, we were totally on the same page when it came to kids. We didn't want any. Um, and there began, I would say also my physical healing journey. So I spent about a decade or more dealing with intense chronic illness, just the same way you hear about it from people more and more nowadays. So my first, my first goal was to heal my body. And that's what really kind of kicked off my healing journey. It started with my physical body. And that is what eventually led me to energy medicine um, because it, I finally found something that worked. So I was just this very energetically sensitive human being that had accumulated a lot of um, energy over the course of my life without understanding what was happening. And it was breaking down my physical body. So I, I needed to move through that phase of healing and awakening um, in order to continue deeper healing. So um, my husband and I also suffered a lot of marital issues during this time. I mean, we, we had some major individual healing to do and certainly were bonded by similar, not the same, but similar energies of childhood trauma. And then we kind of really worked that out on and with each other. So we were really touch and go for like the first decade of our marriage. So for a number of reasons, having a child just was not on the radar. We did not want it at all. Um, and then as I continued my healing journey, then I needed to, to heal a lot of religious programming and, and deep kind of religious wounds and had to work that out in my own time as well. And as I was sort of rounding the bend with that and, and getting deeper and deeper into my knowledge and awareness of energy medicine and, and letting that start to lead my life a little bit more. Um, that was when my siblings started having children. So it started with my sister and that's when I fell in love with my nieces. And now I have a nephew and one on the way. So that was where I started to realize, Oh, maybe I need to rethink having a child. Um, and Mike and I were again on the same page with that and decided when I was 37, I was starting to feel a lot better. I'd begun deeper physical healing because I was doing more energetic healing. I was having more vitality. Um, we started trying and it wasn't working. Um, and mind you, I had not, so out of all of my physical chronic illness conditions, I'd never had any female gynecological issues, extremely consistent, regular with all the things. Um, had no reason to believe that there were any problems. I had gotten pregnant um, definitely in my earlier 30s. Didn't want it. It miscarried. Um, and then I really kind of think I had gotten pregnant in my early 20s as well. Um, and that didn't last either. So miscarriages would have happened around the same point in time, around that six-week mark. So um, really didn't think that we had any reason to worry. So we started trying. Um, tried for about a year and nothing really happened. So that was when I started educating myself on, you know, ovulation and ovulation testing kits and really doing more of the research. And after a decade of chronic illness, I had figured out how to research things. I was not afraid of learning, you know, the science behind my body. I had some acumen with that. Um, so I really dove in for about a, about a year and nothing took. So in, when I was 38, that was when we started seeing specialists, started pursuing the IUI route. That was not working. Um, and around that point in time was when I was actually going through some training to become an energy medicine practitioner myself. So my intuition was really starting to kick in. My meditations were becoming more powerful. Um, I was 
I started to receive, you know, more guidance that I started to trust. And I felt like we needed to go to Boston. So we'd never been to Boston before. It was our anniversary. So we went to Boston. Um, and that was where I, we were, we were going to actually get an in-home IUI from a midwife. So all of this time I had been tracking my ovulation and we got to Boston and I've been consistently, you know, ovulating just really, really consistent. We get to Boston, have the midwife all set up and my body doesn't even begin to move down the path of ovulation. Um, it just literally cut itself off. So I was pretty distraught. Um, we ended up going to Salem one day. My husband was just kind of exploring the coastline. I was walking the town. Um, I wandered into sort of like sort of a mall area and there was a sandwich board set up outside of a shop that said energy healing. So I walked in, I was distraught. So I, I sat with this energy healer. I told her what was going on. She actually specialized in reflexology. I had a session and she had this download in the middle of my session. She's like, I know who you need to talk to. And she wrote your name down with your website. So that's how I found you. And you really helped me kind of close, like you did more than just support my fertility journey. You really um, helped me get clear, I would say, on what I wanted to do professionally, how to bookend a career and also um, a chapter, a significant chapter of my life with organized religion. So, um, and and, and I was complete in that. That was not necessarily like influence outside of me. You were just helping me see that I was done. So I completed that chapter and I started working with you at a deeper level of healing. And that was where we really started looking at the balance of the masculine and the feminine and, you know, how my whole life I had been an achiever and someone who strived all the time and exhausted myself and really wore myself out. And in the process of that, I mean, that just sort of kicked off this really deeper excavation of why, you know, why was I designed that way? What did my inner child need? You know, really working with the inner child, working with the mother wound, working with the family of origin. Um, and that was just a really powerful chapter, I would say in my healing. Um, and I'll just, I'll just pause there. That was how I found you, but I mean, I can keep going. Do you want me to keep going with the story? Well, I want to know, how did you, because I'm what, I guess when I work with women, I never know what's going to happen. Like I don't enter into it with like a a goal and an outcome and nor do I, I guess, um, ask anyone to come back. Like I'm, I'm mostly like, I'm also like, I want you to be free of me and, and just, and let go of things in your life that women cling to. I think a lot of times women come to me and they think I'm going to tell them that this thing is going to happen. But most of the time I'm a realist, you know, I try to be, and I tell them the truth. And a lot of people don't like me for that. (laughs) And I say that to a lot of women that come now, when you work with me, I don't even think we were at that point then, but I guess what, when did you come to the, the realization? A lot of women, when they're in the fertility journal journey, they fight they fight it like they it's like a power struggle which we can talk about power in relationships and power within the female and power within fertility but also how did you finally just like let go and just just live your life again yeah, Not yeah. Clean. okay 
Well, you know, what's funny is when you and I first started working together, we were going back and forth over email and I was kind of making the decision about working with you more in depth. And you, you responded to me in the space of motherhood and you said, um, women or, or something to the effect of, I've not known a woman who deeply wanted to become a mother, not become a mother. And that is sort of the theme of what I had to discover through this journey. It was sort of, we, you, that was very prophetic um, for, for you in, in my, my life. That was ultimately um, the discovery process I was on. So um, I spent probably, let's see, from 38 to the end. So I'm 43 now. Um, from 38 all the way up to my 42nd birthday, we continued to work through uh, fertility treatment. So IUI um, a few times and then IVF. So, and then there was a period of time in there where I worked with you where I was super sick. It was right when COVID hit. Um, so I took a bit of a break there. Um, but I did find that similar to what my body was doing in Boston, how it just sort of shut down the shop as soon as it kind of knew that we were going to be intervening in some way, I found the same experience, um, in IVF. So I went through a natural IVF or a, a mini, I'm sorry, a mini IVF. So it was sort of like a minimized amount of medications to, to help the body generate more eggs. So I went through a mini IVF process and that was something that I had always thought was a red line for me. I always thought that you know, if it gets to the point of IVF, I'm not going to cross that line. Well, I really, really wanted this. So I crossed the line and, um, had a really interesting experience. I feel like what's been happening is my mind very much and, and my, my consciousness very much wanted a child. And during this journey, I had multiple healers and intuitives and people I worked with ask me, you know, why do you want a child, you know, they all felt this inclination to get, help me get clear on that. Um, and I had to work through that. And I, and I do think I did, and I, it really boiled down to love for me. It was an experience of a deeper, um, a deeper love that I knew that I could not experience outside of mothering a child of my own. Um, but in the process of that, I also found that my body was in rebellion. I mean, my body just really rebelled anytime I tried to intervene in any unnatural way. And all throughout this process, I mean, I was going in to get, you know, the scans done on day three, and then you go back, you know, around the point in time of ovulation, I had tons of follicles, all of my hormones and everything was on point. I had multiple reproductive endocrinologists look at my scans and say, you know, when we would be prepping for IUI and they would say, if you were doing IVF, you'd knock this out of the park. Um, and then when I finally did do IVF, that doctor was um, super excited. He and his nurse were they they were like, "This is slam dunk. All you're going to need is a mini IVF." Um, and then sure enough, I go in for the mini IVF, and suddenly nothing works. Um, and then I actually went to see a naturopath who I've been working with for years. So and she's she's very energetically sensitive and intuitive as well. And I walked into her office, and she was just kind of like you know, leaning back in her seat, like, whoa, your energy feels very big and just 
angry and resistant and, you know, intense, you know, there's just an intensity here that she had not felt for me before. And I could feel it in my body, but I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know why. Um, I spent a lot of time just really trying to unpack that. Needless to say, IVF did not go well. Um, we did the egg retrieval. Only one um, egg was retrieved. It was immature, obviously didn't fertilize. So I had to spend some time with that. And you had said, like, so I debriefed with you after that IVF experience. And, you know, you and I talked about donor eggs and that being an extremely viable option. Like, do you want to become a mother? We'll think about a donor egg, you know? Um, and I didn't move forward with it. And then my reproductive endocrinologist felt like a few natural IVF cycles would be good for me. Um, granted, you know, both for my age and my history, just on paper of nothing's wrong, unexplained IVF or unexplained infertility, um, high likelihood of success. I didn't move forward. And I, I have a, so there's two things that I want to share on the heels of that IVF journey. Um, obviously there was a lot of grieving, a lot of recovery that had to go into the next several months. And I had gotten to a point of anger. Um, I, I feel like right at the time I felt like God had been there with me in every step of my journey, that God was, was loud even in my life through so many phases, um, marriage, career, health, family of origin, like God was super loud and super, um, supportive. Um, I felt like manifesting was not an issue for me. Like generally speaking, my life had gone the way I wanted in this, this category, God was silent, like completely silent. And I had gone years working with so many healers, working with so many medications, programs, everything. Like I laid it all on the line and God was silent. So I started saying every day out loud, silence is no longer acceptable. And I would say it three times every day. Um, and I would say it through tears and I would say it through, um, anger and it's making me emotional just thinking about it. I was just at a point of desperation. I was so tired. Um, and I had a dream. So then one night I had a dream and it was, it wasn't a dream though. It was like really real. It was happening. I don't know if you would call that. I mean, it was, I was asleep. I was not in this dimension. Um, and I'm sorry if we're kind of getting into a weird space, but it, this is my truth. So, and I know I was in a different space because when I woke up to go to the bathroom, I needed to pee. I didn't wake up all the way. And it was as I was coming to a state of consciousness to get up and go to the bathroom, I wasn't, I couldn't feel the floor under my feet. Like I was floating to the bathroom and it was like a sudden download of all that I had just experienced in another plane almost got downloaded as I was sitting down on the toilet and it was this, it just clears the bell. And it wasn't like a dream that you forget the details to. It was basically a board meeting with help on the other side that is that I had been speaking to. And it felt like a board meeting with guides, angels, ancestors, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it, they were very clear about you, your mission in this life is sort of your path. Like your, what you're here to do is to help people heal. 
and you're healing yourself. Like that is your path is to heal yourself and to help others heal. Um, and at the time I was experiencing a lot of difficulty in my marriage and really putting a lot of focus on that. And then having a child, there was a lot of focus on that. And they were very clear that, Hey, if you put too much of your focus and your attention on either of these things, the whole thing's going to come down. The whole life is going to crumble. Your goal is to walk your path. You you're here to walk your path. And then these other elements of your life that you think you need and want so badly, they will align as they're supposed to or not. So you've got to let us take care of these other details. And then at the time, it's funny. And they're like, so you want a baby? Okay, we understand you want a baby. And they were very like shrugging over the shoulders, like, you know, maybe, yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe not. You know, either way, it doesn't really matter. But it was just this little like tip. Mike and I were looking at a house to buy in another part of town where they were moving out because the woman kept getting pregnant. So they were running out of space for all the kids. So there's multiple nurseries in the home, adorable house. We were really thinking about buying it. And they were like, for example, you could move into this house where there's baby energy that can support this for you as opposed to your current home, which we built virgin land their family here prior to us they're like you need to you probably need to think about making a move so that you have this energy already there to support your your desire in this arena like you need a little bit of help um or not but the reality is that your mission is not to be a mother and your mission is not to be a wife your mission is to heal and to help others heal um and that's why you're here and you can't lose sight of that in distraction of these other two categories so I woke up, I kind of came fully to, um, and I, it was an answer to the plea of silence is unacceptable. They got very clear and I got clarity and it released me. I mean, I felt so free the next day. I felt so joyful. Um, I felt seen, I felt that message in my body and, and then I just continued to process all of it, continued to process my choices um, I came to a point where I thought about reaching back out to you. I was in the shower and just really trying to close the loop on this because, you know, I'm not getting any younger and I needed to figure something out and contemplating what is my next step, thought about reaching out to you. I immediately thought to myself, what is, what is Pritam going to say? She's, she's going to ask me about a donor egg. What am I going to say back? I don't want to do a donor egg. Why don't I want to do a donor egg? Because because it comes down to, honestly, the truth, you're not meant to have a baby, right. you know? And so just to recap on everything you're saying, the thing I see the most is people, women, women's ego. And it may be that if it's cultural, I understand not using a donor egg. I really do. Like, you know, some cultures are like, I can't do this. My husband won't allow me. My family won't allow me. It doesn't, you know, but then there's some cultures that are like, why wouldn't you use a donor egg, right? I think that people don't like to listen to authority. You, In your case, this would make complete sense. You just accepted it and you moved on. Other people don't. They fight it. They fight it. I mean, I have seen women go through seven cycles. I have seen women go to Europe for more cycles, they come to me to work with me and I say, 
this isn't going to happen. Or if it's going to happen, it's going to be traumatic as you go through it. Or if you just do it now, it won't be so bad. And, and I've told people, you know, and I've said it from the beginning, like I, I'm a huge fan of donor eggs. I I wrote fertile in the back of my head thinking, gosh, you could, if epigenetics and you can program the child, why would you care what the, the tiny, tiny microscopic, cell is put inside of you it's you're still mothering it so that's why i always believe if you want to be a mother you can be a mother now mothering comes in all these different forms and creation comes in all these different forms and when you don't have a child you can write more books or you can you know what i mean you can hike more hills you can travel more places you can create always create as long as you're like doing something that you love and love can be transferred to so many different things and it can be really put into your relationship because when I'm guessing, which I'd love to read something I just wrote yesterday, actually, on relationships between male and female, which is what my newest book is about. But I bet you in your relationship, there was a lot of manipulation happening on some levels. You know what I'm saying? Of like, because there's pain. So when there's pain and your energy's in balance and he can feel that imbalance and you start to like use victimhood and manipulation unconsciously and then you guys go off whack. And that's the whole point of the thing. Is oh, yeah, we hurt each other big time during this journey, for sure. Yeah, so what can you tell women that are, like, not giving it up? They they won't get a donor egg, you know, and they just won't give it up. Or they won't right. go to IVF. Like, a lot of women come to me and they won't try IVF. And I'm like, so the, the doctor says, you know, try it now. You have an AMH of, it's low, let's say, well, one, and you have a good chance now they wait two years and then it's dropped, right? What, why are they doing that? What can you tell them from going through it yourself? For me, it really, it was a question of it. Well, it was rooted in fear and terror of what if this doesn't work? You know, what, who, what does that say about me? What does that say about my value? What does that say about the value of my life? You know, it was really, it had become an exercise of terror for me. Like there was no option outside of this working and it was a prison really. So women who are going through this in a lot of ways who, who won't give it up, who who can't see that maybe this isn't for them, they're in prison. And I think that it's, it's, it's an exercise of willingness to see the option of your life alternatively, not as a mother, like just going through the exercise of even just visualizing it, journaling it, considering it, giving yourself permission to consider what that would look like. And then facing the emotions that arise in that process and working with them. I mean, for me, it was, it, it really connected back to a mother wound to my lineage here in the deep South where women had no value outside of bearing children. And what did that mean about me? If I didn't have any, I, it basically represented an end to my relationship with my mom because she did not understand how to see me outside of this possibility. Um, because she couldn't see herself outside of that. Her whole identity was wrapped up in having children and grandchildren So I've been really researching, not even researching, God has been taking away all my identities. (laughs) And then the one left I have is motherhood, 
you know, I, I'm still starting working again, but and they're slowly, I'm slowly starting to integrate again. But, and then I was thinking, is motherhood even an identity? It can become an identity, but it, that's, it's given to, it's a choice is given to you by God, right? But I think what happens, it's a, it is a choice in this day and age because you can find other ways to be a mother, right? You can adopt, you can be a mother to other people's children. You can, you know, you can become more active in your sister's life. And she would totally accept that. I'm sure if, you know, you're close other, you know, uh, friends' lives, but I guess there's all these different forms that women put on, but I was talking about this slightly in a past podcast, but we put so much outside of ourselves for our self-worth and our identity. And when you start to begin to take those things away, it's life shattering. It is soul wrenching. You think that like, I don't even think this soul awakening stuff hasn't until you really get to, I mean, trauma is one thing and going through your past is one thing and the inner child work is one thing. But then when you start to get really deep into existential um, experience is to take away all your identities on earth of who you think you are and who are you without anything. And so you take away the money, you take away the sex, you take away, you know, your job, you take away all like, and it's really the seven deadly sins in these different forms. In my opinion, it really does go back to Christianity, these forms that take you away from God. And I feel that the motherhood thing is is one of the biggest struggles for women. It is huge. So I want to I want to I want to hear how did you contain and maintain a form of self worth? Because it is around worth for for you know everyone struggling with worth. Absolutely. Tell me what you did so other people can understand. Was that did I just go on a tangent? Did anything I just say make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, very relevant. Yes. 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 Um, you know, I think it's it feels to me because there are so few women talking about not having a child. It it really I mean, historically, you know, these are the spinsters and the, you know, the the people who are kind of off to the side, not a part of society. Um, there's not a lot of exploration or validation for that path. Um, but for me, so as such, I feel like I'm I'm a little bit of um, I'm a little bit of a loner in that regard, but I'm also able to investigate what a path even looks like beyond having children. It's sort of like other women who don't get the opportunity to walk this stretch of life because they've had children. They're putting a lot of their own needs and self healing and expansion on hold you know, for the benefit of their children. I'm sure there are plenty of women who have figured out how to do both, but I don't know a lot of them. It's mostly like I'm putting my life on hold in order to raise my children. So that's like 20 years ish of putting your own personal experience on hold. So I get to walk that path now. Um, and in the process of that, it's just for me, because I'm sort of I've been guided that healing is sort of why I'm here and really focusing on that. Of course, I'm going to deepen my own experience with my own healing. Um, and in the space of self-worth, I mean, codependency is, is a huge pattern that was laid as a child. It was a parentified child. And then I moved into codependent friendships and then I moved into co a codependent marriage. And so now I have all this time and space to take back some of my autonomy, heal a lot of those those wounded bonds, um, 
look at, you know, healing the inner child, look at getting to know myself outside of all of these identities. And I'm, I'm really different. You know, I don't feel like the same person I was when, for example, I married my husband, I was 27. I don't feel like I'm the same person. Um, I, I'm a lot more settled. I'm a lot more healthy. I have a practice of continuing to work with myself. I firmly believe that healing is for a lifetime. So I know that I have more to go. And if we talked in 10 years, I probably have a different set of thoughts to share. But, um, you know, my marriage has massively healed. So I had to put that on the table. So on the other side of becoming at peace with and and coming to a place of acceptance of myself and the fact that my body and my soul did not want this, um, everything was placed on the table. Where I live was placed on the table. Who I'm doing life with was placed on the table. Um, what I even want to do professionally was placed on the table. Like I just had to sit down and reevaluate all of it. So my husband and I then spent a year just really coming to a head on some things. And in a way, we've been rebirthed together as a unit. The codependency is nothing like what it was. There's a lot more autonomy. He's doing a lot of his own healing now, I think, because I sort of like rooted myself into myself and said, you know, I'm taking all that love that was, you know, I would have otherwise given to a child and I'm giving it to myself. I'm learning what that feels like, starting as a small child all the way up to adulthood um, and honoring my journey. That's going to be my priority. Once I started doing that, I no longer engaged in the dance with my husband. So we had a codependent dance that we did on our, and it was in varying degrees of intensity, but it was very devastating. Yeah. Tell me what you define as your, okay. What was codependency to you? What does that mean to you for people that are listening? Because anyone who doesn't know what it is or anybody who's going through it that doesn't see it in their own lives, I think they benefit from you defining it. Yes. So what I've learned it to be is I really identify with it in terms of the nervous system. So the nervous system's conditioning for how to be in relationship. And for me, that was established as a child. So to like, I became very attuned to chaos. I became very attuned to the needs of everyone around me. Um, I started to discern that love was through came through drama and trauma. And that was how I pursued relationship into adulthood. So the idea of peace and autonomy and independence and not relying on those same conditions outside of myself, like in relationship or with another person to ensure my safety and love, that that's a pretty substantial effort to retrain your nervous system, to let go of some of those bonds and those needs that are detrimental. So my husband and I really recreated the drama and trauma of our own childhoods. And that's ultimately why I chose him because I had a history of really great guys that I dated and I didn't ultimately want any of them. I went for the one that destroyed me, um, who was capable of destroying me, not intentionally, but because he replicated the energy of my childhood. Did you go for the poison? Is that why I started this podcast out with that? I was like, what am I talking? Sometimes when I talk on this podcast, I'm like, I don't know what I'm saying. I hope I'm not pissing anybody off, but did you go? So you, oh, that's what I was talking about. Okay. So I was reading you. So you were going for both the medicine and the poison in your life to find the path to healing. And 
And it's the journey of Persephone, you know, the under the going underground for years and then coming up. And I feel like you know this, but for people listening, is women often, even if they're not meant to have a child, and a lot of them don't have a partner that I've worked with. I'm like, I'm looking for my partner. I'm going to become pregnant with this guy who's willing to give me a sperm. And I'm like, it's going to be a chaotic disaster. If the man can't bond with you, this is a side note for anyone listening, but there's many women that come to me and it's like, I found this guy. He's going to give me sperm. I I understand that when you want a child, you know, like, but it is so painful. It is so painful and abandoning to the female to not be able to, you know, hold that man for the, if not past ovulation, you know, it's, it's, it's just like hurting yourself. And so you have to look at the pattern of in the past, you, you hurt yourself or people hurt you so much that you might go into IVF hurting yourself when it doesn't, isn't going to work. Right. So you made, I feel like everything, like your whole world, what I'm seeing is when you decided to stop chasing what you thought was the medicine the medicine like collapsed into your soul and you were able to become this full container What I'm seeing is they emptied you out like a glass container. And they're like, finally her ego can collapse and we can fill her up with the love that she's been searching for. That is not found in all of these outside things she thinks will fill her up. I mean, it's such a big decision because you really could have gone the donor egg route. You know, and, and that would have had more problems in your marriage because if your marriage isn't totally steady when you have a baby, oh my Lord, do you, does this shit hit the fan? You know, because you add a third person in there, it just would have, I think it would have, I think you would have ended up, you could have ended up single. Do you 100%. agree? That's what I'm no saying. Yeah, so you chose. Definitely. You chose to end up married, you know, and work with him and then be happy and like travel rather than like a single mom, which then just kind of creates more pain, right? Yep. 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 And and that's part of the process of becoming more and more at peace with because my my final step has been, okay, now I'm clear on my choice. I choose my choice. Now I want to really be at peace with not being a mother. And that's more of a societal egoic thing, I think, um, because the, the the reminders are everywhere, right? You know, the fact that I'm sort of a lone wolf in this in my life. And well, not completely. I do have some friends that don't have children, but, um, you know, the reminders are everywhere. And I want to really embody a total sense of peace with this to where I can easily talk about it. Today is the first time I've ever shared my story or talked about my story comprehensively. So I want more of that. And a big way of having that is just reflecting on the fact that there's, it, it couldn't have been any other way. It, it, it happened because it happened and it couldn't have happened any other way because it didn't. And, and just getting to that place of, of peace is huge. Yeah. I don't think there's any such thing as free will. There's, I don't believe in it at all. I don't, I was like, how can there be free will? Like, how can we think like our egos think, well, there's free will. And it's like, I just don't think I don't, nothing has free will. Like, how can we think that we're in control? Like that is like the most mind fuck thing in the world to think like we're above God. And I just, I can't, it doesn't make sense to me anymore. 
because the things that happen, the synchronicities that are crazy and the things that you don't get that then realign to be much better than you think, you can't make those things up. Your human self can't create that stuff. So no, no. Yeah. And when you start actually asking for it and, and opening your eyes to it, that's when you start to realize you're not in control. <laughs> you know, you, you're definitely being guided and, and the reality is that, to your point, I mean, I could have walked a different path. I could have made a different choice. There could have been a different timeline unfolding, but it would have looked very different from where I'm at now. And I, I, I feel like I've unearthed a lot of gold in my life, like you said, on the heels of that choice. And it's just a matter of becoming very um, at peace with it, wholly and fully. And and I'm glad we're talking because I, I think that women don't understand that it's a viable choice to, to choose yourself, to choose your healing, to choose, you know, maybe your marriage or you need more time, you know, you need more time for the things, the other things that you want. Um, and it's okay to choose that. It's, it's, it's not, you don't need to be filled with terror at the thought of not having children. Life is still going to show up for you. People will still be in your life. You are still a valid human being. Do you feel it like it was your conditioning that, I mean, they're your mom, right? You said your mom, but your childhood conditioning that created this like sudden need that to fulfill that? Or do you think it was to fix your marriage? Do you think it was to fix yourself? You mean having a child? Yeah. Like when you had the desire for all those years and everything you went through. Yeah. I, I do think it was conditioning. I think, I think I was, up until the point of when, you know, the shop starts to close, I didn't feel any pressure to pursue it. And then when the shop started to close and I started seeing the option go away, I think that's when I threw a Hail Mary and got a little desperate. And I do think that subconsciously it was 100% rooted in my family of origin, in my mother wound, in my lineage it really kind of caught up with me in terms of what is your value if you're not, if you're not a mother, if you're not raising children, if you're not bringing new life, forth new life, you know, what is your purpose? What, what value do you hold? That was a huge question mark that I saw reflected in my own relationship with my mother. I saw it reflected in my mother. I saw it reflected in my lineage. Um, and I really succumbed to it. And, and again, I, I worked through it. Like, I do think it was an honest desire. I think it was rooted in a deep desire for an experience, for a human experience of love that only women can have. You know, I wanted that experience and I wanted it for my husband. He had gotten to a point where he very much wanted to be a father. Um, we wanted it, but it was in part, I would say, from pressure, you know, from society, from programming, from lineage. Like, who are you if you're not a parent? And, and since you decided not to take the path in that way, how have, how has your relationship changed? Like did the trauma and the drama stop? With my husband? Yeah. Um, well, it intensified, I would say. So for about a, for about a year, it intensified. And, um, like I said, I fought similar to letting go of the need for a child. I then let go of the need for my husband. And when I let go of that need, and as I continue to heal, he was basically being asked to heal as well. You know, without me verbalizing that it was more of a, well, the dance is no longer working. 
and he would keep trying to pull me into the dance. And again, this is none of this is conscious and intentional. He had his own wounds. We all have our own wounds. And I was no longer participating in that. So he, the intensity level was rising. The frequency of being invited into the dance was rising. And I finally drew a boundary and was like, I'm not doing this anymore. If this happens again, or if this continues, then I'm speaking with the divorce attorney. And I told him and it happened again. And I spoke with the divorce attorney, um, saw the complete picture of what it would be like to separate and divorce and move on with my life. Something about that experience of that conversation with the divorce attorney clicked within me. It kind of restored more of myself back into my body, more of my autonomy and independence. And it was an energy that was then kind of put out into my home. And my husband asked me a couple of weeks later, asked, we were just chilling out in the back deck. So did you ever talk to that divorce attorney? Did you ever actually call one? I said, yeah. And I didn't lie about it. Um, so he knew it was true at that point. He knew I, I was serious. Um, and then he, he started listening to me. So we would talk about him more and we're, we're great friends. We talk all the time. It's not like there's just always this drama and trauma and codependent pattern. It just was there too much. Um, but a lot of the time we're just really good friends. So we, we talk about my work. We talk about him, me, us, um, very openly. So he started really listening and we were able to start talking about some of his childhood trauma and he started running into challenges with his family of origin and started getting clear himself about maybe what it is he needs to heal. And then he started doing his own work and he started, I know this is really simple, but he started seeing an acupuncturist and he came back different every session. It was just kind of balancing the energy in his body, um, putting him more at ease. It started showing up in how he ran his business. Like it was just unlocking a lot of things for him. So he then started healing and then we've had more opportunities for the same dance. And I'm telling you, he shows up as a different human being in those moments now. And I, I feel like it's complete, you know, we were moving forward. Our sex life is amazing now. Definitely wasn't. We were trying to have a baby. So we fully recovered in that regard. And now we're, like you said, we're, we're talking about making a move to a city that we never would have considered before that feels like us, you know, and, we're traveling more and just really sort of deepening our experience together in this life. So it sounds like you were also trying to solve your relationship. You know, you hit 37, you're like, what are we going to do with our lives? How are we going to do this as a team? I mean, probably not fully, but partly by having the baby. And then when you didn't have the baby, it's like, okay, are we going to stay together through this? Are we going to not? And then that was when you guys both decided, like, if we're going to stay together and not have a baby, we really do have to work on this. Yeah. And and the codependent thing with, with male and female is really, really tricky because this is the biggest, I think, biggest issues. I think one of the biggest issues we have in society that makes us like inside out and upside down and totally distorted because my next book is about the female and the the nature of the female and it's very complicated but very good I tried to make it into a storyline with all these deep teachings and one of the things that came through is both the male and the female are dependent upon each other but they're dependent upon each other for different things and 
So we call what we do, the toxic way of calling that is codependency. We don't want to be codependent. Now there is toxic codependency, but there is dependency that I don't, I don't feel like we're actually accepting in society right now. Males are dependent upon the female for their energy, but males don't know that they don't know what energy is. So they're like, so they attribute energy to a woman's attractiveness, to their femininity, to their sex, sexuality. So they're like, oh, a relationship is sex a lot of the time, right? What it is, is so a more female, a more feminine female, like a real, that holds a lot more abundant feminine energy will be attractive to more um, males, right? Because they're looking for that bigger energy. That bigger energy makes a more successful man in the end. Because women are going away from the feminine energy and moving into their masculine energy, there's this huge imbalance in general with attractiveness, understanding what it is. So now they're looking at porn or these kind of like big boobed women as this attractive, you know, like, because women have lost what that natural feminine energy is. Now women need men for different reasons. We are dependent upon the male. And that's why you stayed in the marriage. And you're just dealing, you're dealing with your struggle with being dependent upon him and then wanting to be independent. And that's this biggest struggle that are women, one of the biggest struggles that women deal with within relationship is like, I love you and I'm dependent upon you, but I don't, I want to prove that I'm independent. I want to have a great job and I want to be just as good as you. So we're in a lot of ways, a lot of women are in competition with the male because we think that their power, we have been programmed by society that, um, that the male power or that power is, comes from what a man defines us. So this like what feminism created is I'm going to be like a man. I think it's the most toxic thing that's ever happened to the female energy on this earth. And I think I've talked about this before, but if we go back to Atlantis and when everything blew up, it's because everything was out of balance and they, nature was out of balance within Atlantis, right? So everything flooded or whatever happened. And now we're really out of balance. And I think the one of the most imbalanced part of it is that women are trying to become men. And we are programmed by society that this is normal, right? So part of your fight in trying to keep, you know, have this baby is I want to be a feminine. I want to be female. I want to be female. You're not just looking for love. You're looking for your heart to open so that you can enter into the female energy. That's truly what you were looking for. And so you were looking at through it for through motherhood, right? You were looking at for like, if, if, okay, if I, if I'm not a mother, then how do I open my heart? Does this feel accurate to you? So one of the I first definitely. ways to heal this is to the most powerful female does not care about power. The most powerful female is a female that does not have an ego to care about power. Now, power comes in all these different forms and it comes through like, and this is like what I've been talking about on this podcast of um, worth. You know, where my power is found through my worth and these outside activities. So it's found through, I got this great job. I got this good raise. I have an identity through this. I have an identity. I'm like, I'm, I identify as being a healer. So I'm powerful, right? I identify as being like, it's just our forms of like, where do we gain our power from? The biggest power, the most feminine you can become is when you don't 
identify with any of it. And then God just leads you to what you're supposed to do. And 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 the more the the less you identify with, the less you desire to have any sort of power, if that makes sense, to identify outside yourself, the more energetically female you become because you go into being. Mm-hmm. And then you can be dependent upon the man. And then because you become so female to him and you're like, I just, you know, and being so female to the man, you don't even know what's going to happen. He'll become so male. You'll love him. You know, <laughs> you won't be fighting him anymore. And this is what, because women and men are in a war. We're in a war with each other and we're fighting each other because we're fighting yeah. our nature. We're fighting what our nature is. Yeah. And that was not that. That, that was us. That that definitely defines us because my husband is more, um, his feminine energy is definitely more prominent. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a deep, deep feeler. He enjoys beauty and pleasure and in the moment. And I was the one with the hot poker, you know, like we need to move forward or we need to do this and that and achieve and all the things. So yeah, I've, I've definitely journeyed the spectrum of what you're describing for sure and giving up the identities that that do give the validation that I needed in order to be seen as worthy and powerful for sure. Well, I think a lot of women are afraid if they aren't the male. So what happened is nature's out of balance. The more The more male we become, the more feminine they become. It's crazy. And then they start to pull away. And then they. what happens is males... This isn't in your case, but a lot of times males were, you know, like, let's say what I said before about males wanting to be with a feminine woman. If they marry a woman that's very masculine, a very masculine woman, it's based on logic most of the time. So then if they're logically marrying this this woman, they'll end up having an affair on her because they're really needing that feminine energy. They need energy. They need it. If it, it fills, they, they they don't know how to get it. You know, they don't. Have, they're not the creative force. They're not like the god form in in this world, right? So they'll go out and have. They'll start looking at other women. They'll start, you know, like the, the minute you go out, the more masculine you become, the more the man will his eyes will wander because he's looking for the female. And so this imbalance between the masculine and feminine is a lot of women are afraid if I give up, and I'm sure it happened with you, if I give up this masculine energy within my relationship, will he be able to become the masculine? Will he take that road to actually stepping up and leading us? Were you afraid of that? For sure. Oh, for sure. Um, Yeah, everything you're describing, I feel like, we've, we've, we've been processing, we've been married for for almost 16 years now. And I feel like we've been journeying out of that space, all of those 16 years, everything you're describing for sure. And we're rounding the bend and making some significant progress towards really balancing that out. And we're both changing internally and individually as a result and coming together in in a brand new way. So yeah, for sure. I'm seeing this play out in our home. Did you, okay, so when you were battling with where your power comes from, where your worth, and I guess we could use the word power or worth, did you use forms of manipulation to try to gain your power back from him? Forms of manipulation would, and they're super subtle, and usually I would say the darkest form that women do, and it's very feminine, is play victim. 
and they'll create scenarios to play victim. And I have so many examples from so many women and I want to slap them and say like, you're playing victim to try to gain your power back. But if once they realize that this is all programming, that we like, cause, because they, we think that in general, we're a weaker, we are weaker than a male. Like I hate when everyone's going to be like, we're not weaker. We're just different. We are weaker. We're more sensitive. We're more, we cry more. If we're, when, when we're in our nature, we're sensitive. We, we're a little bit more gullible. We need the male to lead us. Like we really do. We lead from our heart when, 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 our, when we are in our nature, nature, we're intuitive. We're erratic. We're illogical. We make decisions that are like spontaneous where a man is like, no, we're going to take this road. And we're like, no, we have to go to the right because there's a tree I have to go sit by. And if I sit by that tree, I'll find this pond and by the pond, I'll get the answer. <laughs> right. And, and if we're not like that, how would art be made? How would beauty be created? Right. And so as we're trying to balance our idea of what power is, we become the man, right? And then and then to, to get our power back, we start to play manipulation and victimhood and, and fights with them to gain power back. When if we just see it comes from a problem within our society and conditioning, we won't try to do that anymore. Do you feel like that happened and you had to come to some realization around yourself? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was playing all kinds of games. So, yeah, I mean, I was... I was creating, you know, drama where there wasn't any drama. That was the beginning of our marriage because I wanted him to be my father. And I, you know, that was a nose to nose screaming in each other's face kind of environment on a daily basis when I was growing up as a teenager. So I was trying to recreate that. Um, and then it, and then it moved into more of the victim for sure, tears and all that. Um, and then as I, as I started the healing journey for myself, I started to realize what was happening, realizing that, you know, I need to take responsibility for my contribution to this. So what I started doing is, is when we would get pulled into these, and I call it a dance because it would, it would be a literal energy shift where we would move into this, all these alternative states of being with each other. Um, for me, anger was a huge piece of it. Um, and I, I started this process where I would kind of like catch myself at some point, either at the very beginning when I could feel the energy shifting or maybe, you know, a fraction of the way in. And I would, I would exit the room physically um, or exit the situation. And I would put myself in my own. So I, I had created a sacred space for myself in my home where I could do my self healing work, a bit of an, you know, like creating an altar and a space where you can go that's sacred just for you. So I would go and I would sit in all of my feelings extracted from that moment in my sacred space at my altar. And I worked with it. I felt it. I worked with it in the space of, okay, what is this about? What is it that I really want? What is it that I really need? Um, I would use EFT, which is emotional freedom technique tapping. And then I would get a lot of clarity about my bullshit in those moments. So I would start to see at a deeper subliminal level what was really going on, what it was that I was really missing, and that it was to me in that moment or to heal for me. So I started taking back my power, I would say, in a, in a more true way in, that, in those moments where I could sit with myself, sit with the bullshit, sit with the feelings, unpack it, look at the origin, heal it at the root, use my tools. Um... And that's where the dance on my end started to dissolve a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. 
And that was when he's, it would actually make him more pissed off when I would sort of exit the room, when I could feel the energy shift, it would start to really piss him off without me saying a word. He would feel that, oh my God, she's not going to dance with me. And then he was invited to start looking at, cause he had his own bag of stuff. Like I had mine, he had his, and he had to start looking at his bag of stuff. And then I would say when he finally started doing that, that's when healing really took shape. And that's where we were able to sort of embody more of the masculine and feminine balance that we've always been wanting at a soul level. I think at a soul level, this man was not going to let me go. And that, that was when I realized that like the depth of love that waits for me in my marriage, you know, like he has, he is willing to give up so much. He's willing to heal. He's willing to face his demons. Like he's willing to do all of that because he loves me that much. And it's a really, really beautiful thing. You know, this reminds me of like a really good, solid teachings, teaching, there's many to it, but relationships, if you look at a relationship for what it really is, it's really truly about bringing up insecurities within the other person to the light. And so that those insecurities can be healed. And so we can blame shame the other person for bringing those insecurities up, or we can say that person's right. And then your ego and your um, persona can drop and say, thanks for showing me this shitty part of myself that I actually should have worked on that I didn't want to see that I can bring it up. Now that's what, when two people can help, you know, bring up insecurities and then change and grow together or say, you're right. Then the relationship can continue. But if, if the other person, you know, shows, says, this is probably a better way of doing this. And that one person, you know, their pride pride is too strong, then they cannot grow. And so I bet for many years, if you guys were fighting this long, you both had a lot of pride. And pride is the inability to say, I'm sorry. I know I'm wrong. There's something wrong with me and I'm going to change. Right. And it's the first step. Pride is really the first step in healing. I really, truly believe that because you have to be able to say or healing and changing or changing your vibration, becoming more feminine. You have to drop your pride and say, I'm sorry, there's something wrong with me. I'm not even, I'm sorry. You don't even have to be sorry about it. It's just, dang, you're right. There's something wrong with me. This just is, I'm going to work on it and change. Now, what we call narcissism, which is this new fabulous word that everyone loves and likes to war with this other sex about as a narcissist. And there's so many of them. The narcissists are just selfish people. They're just selfish humans. And it's like selfish humans don't want to see that there's something wrong with them and they don't want to grow. You cannot grow with that. But luckily, if you guys are both changing, you know, you're able to drop your pride and and either you are going to smash it with a baseball bat or you're just going to be like, let's sit down and drop our pride and say we're both have something wrong with us. A lot of those insecurities that you're talking about, like as you heal those insecurities and those pain points within yourself, even when the other party, you know, tries to trigger them or poke them or draw them out. When you've resolved that, or you know, what's true, or you've arrived at a deeper level of knowing within your body in those moments, it doesn't trigger you anymore. It's kind of like, well, you know, that's actually not true, but it's not something I'm even going to engage with. It's sort of like, you know, road rage. You, 
somebody triggers you and, and you fly off the handle because you were already dealing with something from within anyway. But if you're not dealing with something from within and somebody cuts you off in traffic, it's kind of like, you don't, it doesn't even register half the time. You know, it's just a different way of being that yes. in these relationships and marriages, et cetera. I mean, it's, it's gold. It can be gold to your own healing and transformation and ultimately your physical health. I mean, I feel like my physical health has really improved and blossomed as a result of just letting go of all these things and doing this deep inner work. And yeah, had I had a baby, I don't think we would have even remotely gotten this far. And I tell him all the time, I'm like, I don't think we would have survived if we'd had a child and he agrees. So, um, any questions you have for me or anything you want to tell anybody before you leave? Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I mean, like I said, this was, it's cathartic to talk about this journey because it's so deeply um, painful and traumatizing along the way, but I, there's a light at the end of that tunnel. If you'll let it, if you'll let there be a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I'll say that the two there are two thought leaders who really helped me find more peace in my journey. And that is um, Peter Crone and he's, he's a, he calls himself the mind architect. And then also Ruby Warrington who wrote a book called women without kids. And it's a very comprehensive read on just perspective. And it really helped me find peace with my choice. I would say. That's really, really good because there's not like who talks about it. You know, we need more people talking about it. Right. And she actually just did her, her first retreat. I found out about it a little too late, but she actually just did a retreat for women without kids to come together and kind of unpack a lot of the, you know, false beliefs and the fears and the grief that comes sometimes with this path. Mm, that's really helpful. Thank you. Thank you Thanks so much. <laughs>